Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Park. The U.S. stock market, ladies and gentlemen, is a decade into a rally that has seen broad indexes triple in value and generate $30 trillion in wealth. The unemployment rate is 3.8%. That's nationally. And the early caucus and primary states of Iowa and New Hampshire are tied with even lower seasonally adjusted rates of 2.4% unemployment. Real annual growth in the gross domestic product, the GDP, was recently estimated just shy of 3% at 2.9% for the U.S. in 2018, outpacing other developed economies such as those of Japan and pretty much all of Europe. Does this sound like a textbook case of pre-revolutionary misery? Not exactly. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. We're sitting across the desk from me. Is Southern Wood. Things are going pretty well. They're not perfect. No. This is like the least worst path we're on, for the most part. Maybe we could make things a little better on the margins. There's some things I'd like to do if I could wave a magic wand and be emperor for a day. Okay. But it's not exactly like we're the Weimar Republic, or to use a modern-day example, Venezuela. We're not even close to what Russia's going through, or what China continues to try to figure out, Mm -hmm. or India trying to bring billions of people out of poverty. Yeah. Not to mention the constant problems in the Middle East. Mostly of their own doing, politically speaking, creates instability. Africa's trying to rise. We're doing much better than Africa. Those certain countries in the African continent are doing pretty well. Yeah. But if you listen to a lot of uh, leading Democrats, their leading Mm -hmm. lights, America's on the cusp of a historic transition from capitalism to socialism. Oh, wow. Well, here's the the kicker, though. We've already dabbled in socialism. We've dabbled a lot in it, especially during that thing called the New Deal. Now, it wasn't like seize all the means of production. Like, it wasn't straight up Bolsheviks, you know, seizing the government and running a communist government. Okay. But a lot I, of the programs... I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you right now. A lot of the programs, we've dabbled with socialism. We have, what is it called? A mostly free economy. Unfortunately, not one of the freest in the world. A few other places have us beat in that regard. 
But we have this weird mixed economy where the government is guaranteeing certain industries. There's an intermingling and mixing of government and private business, usually big corporate interests. And I don't like all that stuff. But in general, if you ask me the simple question that is being asked of Democratic candidates for the presidency of the United States right now, I would say, yes, I am a capitalist. If what you mean is that I believe in private property rights, what you mean is I believe in the freedom of the individual person to trade with other people, those property rights and the goods and services people are free to produce, then yes, I'm, I'm a capitalist. But here's sure. the thing. Here's the thing. I don't think we're going to win the argument going forward. And if by we, anybody that cherishes freedom and the right to make your own destiny, even if it means that you might potentially have a risky destiny and you might even fail, if you're on that side, then I think we are really in a symbolic fight. We're in a fight that begins with how people grew up. We're in a fight over symbols and values, not necessarily hard data and facts. That's what baffles me is when I see these arguments about socialism and capitalism going on, half the time the person saying, yeah, I love socialism, doesn't really mean socialism historically understood. And the person saying, yeah, I'm a true capitalist, isn't completely like laissez-faire, let us be, let us alone libertarian capital and not even capitalism free markets there's this weird mix going on so there's one way to do the argument i think on the symbolic values level like what do you value somebody asked me that the other night how do you know what's right and wrong well i said well it depends i suppose on what you value so what's the thing you value most in this world southernwood a family and right there, you don't have to... I mean, not even... I mean, not even... I didn't even pause. It's not even a question. Right. It's clear. My, 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 I mean, my family, my... my, And it... I mean, it goes... It goes beyond just my children, because, right. you know, those of us that, that do have children, it, there's, there's a special love that you have for them, and you want the best for them, and want them to grow up and have the opportunities that you did but even i mean my grand my, my well my daddy my grandmother right. is still with us and and it's just i mean the there's nothing that means more to you in your life than your family right and and you don't want it to be easy i, I don't want my children to have an easy life right. i really don't and that sounds odd coming from a father but i don't want them to have it easy i want them to have to earn it and you want them to have a good life and that word good doesn't necessarily mean easy exactly and and that's what i mean i want them to work and strive to get to a point and i want the same thing and and have a good 
and maybe good is the wrong word to use, but I want them to have a good life. You know, I want them to work for it. But you without... And earn right. what they have. But you without hesitation. When I asked you, what do you value most? You said family. Family. Without any hesitation. Yeah. Like, you didn't have no to doubt. think about it. And just that. Like, you don't need to bring in complicated philosophy. You don't need to bring in even... You probably should, but you don't have to even bring in the scriptures or what the preacher said or what. You can just take, I value my family. Yeah. And out of that comes all sorts of right and wrong. Mm. You're, yeah, you're 100% correct on that. So that's the question I think we need to ask more in our political arena. What do we actually value? Is it the material goodie or prize or treat I, we value that to a certain extent but is that like the number one goal is it making sure the middle class has a a job instead of you know seven dollars or ten dollars an hour fifteen twenty dollars an hour that's a noble goal but it's not exactly a lofty goal you know what I mean yeah and I think I think unfortunately in politics, that's what it's turned into is, uh, you know, my desire is, is it's not for my family to be comfortable. It's just for my family to survive. Right. And people take that and they go to the nth degree, as my grandmother would say or my mother would have said. And you go to the point of, well, we've got to give them a way to get there. No, I mean, figure it out for yourself. You know, right. you do it. You figure it out. You get there. You know what? Life sucks. I, and that's just, I mean, that is definite. Life sucks. And sometimes, you know what? You're going to fail, and you're not going to be a successful businessman. You're not going to be successful. You can go out and start your own business and you can fall on your face and go, uh, this right. didn't work. But you learn something from That's that. Fine. From the process, you learn something. As, Hopefully you should. As long as you learn something from that process, you're not a failure. Right. Now, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, then yeah, you're you're just a loser. You're a failure. But you learn how to, okay, I did this wrong last time. I'm going to do it this way this time. And you just keep going. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't, I'm, I'm not at the point that I think that I'm perfect and that no. what I do is right and what you do is wrong, Joey. Right, right. That, that's not the way I am. You know me well enough to know that. No, it's about but, what you value. But when you fail, don't fall down and waller. Waller? That, yeah, that's that's an old country that's saying. That's a bit waller. Waller. Yeah, yeah, waller. waller. Don't waller. Don't waller in your misery. Pick yourself up and say, hey, I screwed up. I should have done it this way. And go back and, and don't quit. Go mm-hmm. back again. Jimmy Valvano, we're at like basketball time of year. I mean, we're getting in the tournament and all this and the Jimmy V and all that. I mean, you remember North Carolina State. Oh, Jimmy V, he's like <laughs> my favorite coach of all time. 
But that's what he said. He, it, it, when he gave his speech, when he had terminal cancer and he was going to die, I mean, mm. he knew he was going to die. Right. And he said, never, ever, 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 ever give up. And he said it four times. He said it on purpose. Don't give up. Keep trying and do what you have to do. See, so, that sounds like a message of personal responsibility discipline, hard work, all those things kind of seem packed into that idea of don't give up, keep striving, keep moving forward, don't ever, 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 ever give up. Makes a lot of sense to me, but what does all this have to do with capitalism and socialism? Well, I think... uh, I think it's down to the, the roots of these systems. Like, what do you value? Yeah. Why would somebody say they're a capitalist? Why would somebody say they're a socialist? And one thing, like, you'll hear these arguments that are out there. Like, oh, capitalism's good because it allows for dynamic, efficient capital formation in order for us to create new things. Like, that's, I don't think that's the message that will win the day necessarily. Uh, socialism's great because it allows for us to take care of everybody and give them a guarantee that they'll have food, water, and shelter and be able to live that life. Actually, I think of all people, Oscar Wilde got it right when he said socialism would free us from the sordid necessity of having to live for others. <laughs> and that's kind of what I hear from some folks, the idea of if you got a universal basic income or if you got the government and society, the government preying on society to help other parts of society, then you could be that artist you always wanted to be and, you know, make marble paintings or something. I don't know. Uh, well, and Blow things out of your butt and call it art. I don't know. Or maybe you will be a brilliant artist and paint the next Mona Lisa. And, and Joey, I think... I think Seems to be the idea, though. I think that we discount that side of the argument because, I mean, you're more conservative or libertarian than you are on the other side of the uh you know this concept but i i think you lose that that there is an ideal out there Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean if the government or some form of something paid for everything you could go out and be who you wanted to be you know i mean that's the truest form of liberalism and 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 yeah and and maybe you would be you know the next great artist or the next great screenwriter maybe i mean it, it, it's most it's, people won't it, well it's unlikely because it's not about the necessarily the environmental factors it's about again that initial individual initiative but but there are two sides of the argument is you know where i sit and where i stand is no get up Get off your couch, go out and get a job. You want to write poetry. That's beautiful. That's right. lovely. Sure. I love that idea. Yes. I'm I'm a great fan of the arts, but you know what? You have to go to Taco Bell and punch a clock and work at Taco Bell for eight hours a day in order to sustain yourself. And then when you get off work, then go home and write poetry. Don't expect the government to say, hey, Joey is, I mean, he's hes well with words. Let's give Joey, Mm-mm. you know, $20,000 a year. No. Not, 
not enough to be successful, but just enough that you can get by right. and and be okay. I wonder how many people would accept the bare minimum. But here, I want to get back to this. Why do some people, now 50% of my so-called generation millennial, that like socialism, want to live in a socialist country? I guess they they want to guarantee or they want to take care of people or they think control i don't know here's my problems with socialism historically speaking they thought capitalism would trample on the average everyday person and it would be unsustainable and we would lead to a great crash and civilization would come plummeting down especially as the earth became more populated overpopulated some might say all of that they were wrong very wrong when this experiment of free markets, trade, it hasn't been perfect. I'm not arguing for some utopia. I'm arguing what actually happened in many ways. Again, it hasn't been perfect. But when the middle class started to grow and the authorities, the aristocrats, and in many cases, the priestly clergy class of the clerisy, the academics, the intellectuals, when they started to realize, let the average person have a go at it and use their own individual initiative to pursue their own life and their own destiny and their own interest, what that allowed is not only for that middle class to grow more prosperous, which they did, and they did like no other time in human history, like 5,000% better in this country. The people that started off in 1800 were now 5,000% better in terms of wealth than they were. It's never before been seen in human history. But it isn't just that those people back then got wealthier. Of course, they did all the living and they did the dying. But they passed on that wealth. Not just to their direct heirs, but all the things they created. It's not the money, folks. It's the actual wealth, the products. All these things that surround us every day that allow our society to be, quote-unquote, modern. But they didn't just give us the wealth. They gave us more people. We're now, what, at six, seven, eight billion people here on this planet? And what's happening? Poverty, abject poverty, is being destroyed left and right all over the country when governments and nations and countries and people start adopting the basic classical liberal program okay. of peace, liberty, equality before the law. Not equality of outcome, not even equality of opportunity, equality before the law. The laws are pretty clear, they're pretty simple, they apply equally. They're universal in a way, as close as we can get to universal. And justice for the individual. And I think what we're arguing over now in the United States, in many ways, is solely justice. But we're emphasizing one aspect more than the other. So if I'm actually listening to Democratic candidates up there on the stage or listening to President Trump debate with whoever the nominee becomes for the Democratic Party, I want to hear specifics. I don't want them to be waxing poetic or philosophical like I'm doing tonight. I want to hear, okay, there's the Export-Import Bank of the United States. It subsidizes certain producers to export their goods abroad. Are you for it or are you against it? What do you okay. want to do with health care? What do you want to do with education? Do you want to privatize it? Do you want to do vouchers in terms of education? Do you want to do vouchers in terms of the veterans? 
so they can get health care wherever they like and don't have to go into the VA system if they don't want to? Or do you want to completely nationalize insurance in the country, make it single-payer? Do you want to have so-called free university education that... Well, it's free to the person using it, so to speak, but it's not free to everybody paying into it. And free so that the person using it, the student, can be indoctrinated in what is now a fact, decidedly left-wing. When, and here's the science, or at least the latest data. The people going into school, the student body, they're fairly left-wing. A lot of kids going in. They kind of lean that way. That's where the culture leans. But they're not. They're still kids. They haven't made up their minds. But then, the college professors mm-hmm. are quite left wing, and even worse, the college administrators, the people that run all those activities for your kids in those schools outside of the classroom in the student union center or whatever, it's bad, folks. It's getting even worse. There is no diversity or argument going on. It's their way or the highway. And they're willing to use obscene tactics to get their way. They really are. They want to shut people up. So should that be subsidized by the taxpayer? I disagree. I would point to people like Tim Cook of Apple who says, we don't even look for a college degree anymore. We look for skills to see if you can do a job here for Apple. I think that should be the focus, and that should be the whole point of education, though we've gotten all away from that point for some reason. It's not about skills anymore. It's about activism, which I can't stand. Yeah. But here's here's the rub. When I look at socialism on its face, what I don't like about it is historically its claims have been wrong. And then people say, well, that wasn't true socialism. Well, at least the root of your ideas, mm-hmm. these people were wrong. In particular, the deepest idea, Karl Marx had this idea that history was moving in a certain way. It was inevitable. The material forces of history yeah, it, would lead it, us to a certain direction, and we can speed that up by activism, like people writing and rabble-rousing and teaching and... All sorts of ways. We can maybe speed up that process a little bit if we wake up the working class or the proletariat and, and get shake them from their false consciousness, from their, their ways. And we can, we can usher in a revolution where everybody is taking care of one another. And, and, and I mean, the way that, that I would understand it is, is it, we haven't perfected socialism yet. If, That's if what they socialism say. was perfect... Yeah. Then it would work, and yeah, it probably would if it was perfect, but it's not ever going to be perfect. Well, and it's not, I don't think it would work even if it was perfect. Well, I... I, Because it doesn't allow for people to create wealth in a robust manner. I I think maybe... It is constantly taking and divvying up. Before the government, folks, can... This is just a basic fact. Before the government can ever take something in form of taxation... Or inflate your money away with creating more money, printing more money out of thin air. Before they can ever actually take the wealth to fund the government, somebody has to create it. Production precedes predation, in other words. Before they can ever tax you, you have to be a businessman who provides different services to people in your community. And there's no incentive to produce more 
right. if you're going to have the same return on your investment. If if I work 90 hours a week and just using ambiguous numbers, I make $50,000 a year. I work 90 hours a week. If I work 40 hours a week, I make $90,000 a year. Why am I going to work that much more and pr- produce that much more product right. if I'm getting the same no matter what I do? Well, and also That's the, the problem with socialism uh, it, is well, there's, there's the no incentives, incentive. The incentives are all messed up. Yes, it, Troy was making that point at the end of last night's show. And Milton Friedman, I've heard make this con- this uh, argument all the time, and uh, applying it to all sorts of different countries. Greed is wrong. I agree. Greed is a vice. I think if you're going to rely on just self-interest alone, that'll get you so far. But it's not. Even when I hear people defending free markets with just self-interest, will make the system work. Uh, maybe for a little bit, but not completely. I tend to now agree that you need a virtuous people. In order for any system to work well, but but greed messes up all nations—socialist or capitalist, whatever type of nation—barter system. Somebody who's greedy, who not only is greedy for money and goodies and treats, but is also greedy for power, which I think it's much more intoxicating. Always yeah. seems to screw up that sort of system. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: here's where I think, especially people who of the socialist bent are absolutely wrong. What motivates people is not, and some people on the right and free market libertarians are wrong, what motivates people isn't purely material desires. If I gave you enough to eat, enough clothes to wear, and shelter, and said, Clay, you're provided for, and that's it. Would you be happy? No. No. uh, No. Because Uh what motivates people is not the bare minimum material. What motivates people is the human consciousness, the imagination. What's it like to reach that summit? What's it like to go past that horizon we've never gone before? What's it like to develop a great relationship that solves problems for people? Whether it's a marriage or a friendship or starting a business relationship. What are different ways we can work to change this world for the better? Now, some people will sell you tchotchkes at an airport kiosk. And that's not changing the world a great deal. Oh, look, I got an alligator head from Florida. Great. I mean, it's not exactly the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. But a lot of people, especially the people who become the richest, are the ones that change our lives in fundamental ways. And this is my argument. What made us so rich is not that, oh, we got a lot of stuff. And, oh, we put, like, we have property rights and we have good government. And we got a lot of capital accumulation and we started to invest in our future. All those things were part of it. Okay. But the greatest thing that propelled us was allowing the everyday person, the middle class person, to have their freedom and their dignity to pursue their own dreams, and out of that fostered all sorts of virtues. Well, and and Joey, what it's the we, virtues that direct us, not just the material desire. It is, and what we have in this country, and and this is the greatest time of year. It's the greatest time of year. Are you are you a basketball fan? 
Kind of, not really. And not really. Okay. I've never been a big March Madness guy. The thing about basketball, though, is the worst team. You can be Liberty University in the MEAC or whatever conference they're in. You can win. You have the opportunity starting yesterday. You can win your your tournament. You can get into the national tournament, and you can win. You have the opportunity to win every single game, and you could be 14-26 and and be the national champions, the best team. You get the title. It's what I love about basketball is, and and volleyball is very similar, but you have the opportunity on the merits. Now, it most, you know, doesn't doesn't usually happen. There's usually it, not that Cinderella story. Ain't gonna, ain't right. gonna happen. I mean, you might be Villanova in 1980, right. whatever, and be a nine seed and win the national championship. Yeah, I mean that might happen, but it doesn't happen generally. But the thing is, you've got the opportunity every single and. We, as Americans living in this country with the laws we have, every single day you've got the chance to get up and you can be a champion at whatever job you have. You might work at freaking Walmart. There's nothing wrong with that. You can be the best employee. You can go from, you know, a greeter to a assistant to an assistant manager to... Running the daggum store. You've mm-hmm. got, you have the opportunity in this country to do whatever you're capable of doing. If you, through practice, you start to embody your virtues, you start to take those chances, and when you fall, stand back up and realize, oh, that's right. I learned something from this. And here's the point I'm trying to get across it's not just material stuff, it is the human imagination. It's human consciousness. It's not just signaling virtues, but learning to embody virtues. And I I say this all the time, but on that front, embodying virtues, it's the toughest thing I say that I am lacking at when I look in the mirror. That I'm working at it. But here's the thing. When you look at the Soviet Union, or you look at Venezuela, it's not just that people's lives, true oppression from tyrannical governments... That's, you know, count one against them. Bloody murderers running those countries. Oh, yeah. The psychopaths, in my opinion. And it's not just, oh, these people were made materially worse off. Like, they can't go down to the store and buy bacon and eggs if they so please. They have to wait, if anything, in a bread line to get their latest ration. But the worst effect of when the government... Or don't think of it as the government like this. When some people say, I will take the responsibility away from you. The responsibility is now the group's responsibility and the government's responsibility. What does it take from you that is the most precious? It takes away fostering those individual virtues that help you help yourself, help your family, help your friends, help your community. It breaks the back of that spirit. Amen. So the things that will lead us in the future, there's a writer, and I mentioned her last night, I've mentioned her before, Deirdre McCloskey. She identified, what is it, the seven key virtues. 
that we know from our history, from the West in particular. Four of them are classic. There's prudence. It's like rationality. Like, are you self-interested? Are you rational? Are you logical? I think we rely on that way too much to explain why our world works the way it does. But it's very important, no doubt. But it can't be the only one. There's temperance. It's the golden mean. It's having balance between everything. You know, something might be good, but there might be too much of a good thing. Something might be bad, but you might need to do it a little bit and suffer a little bit in order to get the good thing later. Temperance, understanding balance in this world. There's fortitude, or in other words, courage. It's not that you're not a scared. You might be incredibly scared. You might be full of fear. But even if you are full of fear and you are scared, you step up to the plate and you take your shot anyway. And then the last classic virtue is justice. You're just desserts. You get what you deserve. And then those four are supplemented by three others. Faith, hope, and love. And it needs to be all seven. And if you hold those in mind, you live your life every day. You try to embody those virtues. And no, you won't do it every day. You might be better at courage than you are at temperance. Or you might be more rational than you are loving and faithful. Each of us have our gifts, our talents. But those are what need to be fostered. And I think the best way to foster that is to say this starts at the individual level. No... Your father can't do it for you. Your mother can't do it for you. Your friend can't do it for you. Your community sure as hell can't do it for you. And your state government or your federal government can't do it for you. And, Joey, you just took the words out of my mouth. It always boils down to, and I couldn't have said it any better than what you just said, it always boils down to personal responsibility. Yes. Amen. I mean, even, and that's, I mean, and that hits you as a, and I know you don't have any children, but as a parent, that's what hits you the worst is when you see your children emulating you and, and engaging in the same, uh, uh, you know, actions that you do. And you're like, Dad, gummit, don't do that. Right. And it's, it's not just because you're not supposed to do that, you know, the quotation marks, supposed to, but it's like, you're acting just like me, and I really screwed up when I acted like that. Right. Don't do that. Well, and here's a, a funny way of putting it, and it's interesting how these two so-called sages, like, how do you put all those virtues together? They emphasize different things. Don't get me wrong. Somebody might be trying to practice personal responsibility. They fall flat on their face, and that's when charity comes in. That's when love comes in. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of it. Absolutely. But here, in the first, late first century B.C., a Jewish sage, Halal of Babylon, put a classic rule you might know in the negative. He said, do not do unto others what you would not want done unto yourself. It's very masculine. It's very a a guy kind of freedom sort of thing. Don't do that thing or I'm going to do that thing to you. I'm not going to do that thing because I don't want to do that thing to you. I've heard in libertarian circles, it might be the non-aggression principle. 
You don't be aggressive against me, and I, you don't harm me. You don't take my stuff. You don't hurt me. You don't kill me. I won't do it to you and your family. It's very. It is. You can see that that would be kind of guys who came up with that. But there's another guy of all people who reformulated that simple golden rule: do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Some people call him Jesus of Nazareth or Son of God or Emmanuel or I know that Messiah. Name. And there's all sorts of things like that. But strangely, it, it tends to be more gal liberalism, if you like. It's, it's more like, you know, be nice, do the positive thing. It's a gospel of love. And it places upon us an ethical, moral responsibility more than just don't do things that are bad to people. It's more active. Be the good Samaritan, so to speak. Be nice. And you need both. You need the very cruel, harsh realization of the world that you do not do certain things or things get really bad really quickly, it'll get violent even. But you also need do the good thing, the positive thing for others. Need that balance. It ties everything together. So when I look at these arguments for socialism, some of it's coming from that place of love. Some of it. Other parts of it, though, come from, I think, deep confusions of taking away, number one, they're doing things to other people that should not be done in the name of a good goal. But it's also, I think they conflate liberty with agency. They think, oh, freedom means I should have the ability to do things. No, freedom means you have the freedom to do things. It's the pursuit of happiness versus the guarantee of happiness. Yeah, and and I think a lot of that is like the maternal sense of us, mm-hmm. because even us males, we have a paternal and a maternal. Yeah, we have both. We're all a, you know we're inside all of us, and it's is you want to take care of someone, you want them. To, I don't want them to hurt, and that's the maternal side. Is I don't want them to have to hurt. Well, yes. But, you know, sometimes you have to do that. The paternal side is, yeah, I know that hurt, but pick yourself well, up and, and keep going. One, the first one, like the old rabbi in Babylon might have put it, corrects the busybody that wants to bully and plan and push people around. The other, that you might have heard from Jesus, corrects a sort of inhumane self-centeredness or selfishness. You need both. In other words, politics, our politics, needs to have both a heart and a brain to be ethical. And that's hard. And I wish the arguments were over this instead of these bumper stickers. We'll be right back. (laughs) Joey Clark. Joey Clark. Oh, welcome back. What was that southern one? I said I didn't want to step on it if you was coming back. Oh, well, we're coming back now. Actually, have somebody calling in. You want to just do this, like, on the fly? Do it. News talk here on the air. Who's this? Hi, it's Debbie. Hello, Debbie. Hey, Debbie. How you doing, guys? Very good. How are you? Awesome, and I love your conversation. Um, I just thought I'd put in two cents if I could. Okay. Well, one of the things I've noticed, uh, and it's not just this generation, it just seems like it expanded a lot more in this generation. People like to be taken care of. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And they like the security to depend on. If something happens, they you know don't have to worry. They they've got somebody covering their back. It's a pleasant thought. And when I read the Communist Manifesto and I read you know Karl Marx and all that, some of it is very um, idealistic. You think, yeah. oh wow, wouldn't that be just wonderful if everybody could just live in this peaceful universe with everything they need and they don't have to ever worry about anything but let's face the facts it didn't work out in russia it didn't work out in any country that i've ever heard of the closest thing i've even come close to is monte carlo and i don't think they're really like ecstatic about their way of living but everybody works it doesn't matter who it is they all have to work it could be handicapped, whatever. They're still going to have to find a job. Everybody gets the exact same thing. They all get cable. They all get a certain amount of food, the home, etc. So, like you were saying, where's the incentive on that? Why would you want to do any more than you absolutely have to do to get by? Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's what you do. What what you're doing, Debbie, is you're you're working for. I mean, the way we would understand it, we're, you're working for minimum wage is what you're doing, is do the bare minimum, get what you mm-hmm. need, and you can survive. And mm-hmm. it, it, what we've done in this country is we've made that... We've, we we've We've made that wealthy enough that, and I hate to use the word wealthy, but it's, it's enough that it's comfortable... Mm-hmm. To the point that why would you want to go out and extend yourself and do more? Right. And, and work? risk what you well, have. And it's yeah. also taking, I think, things for granted. Like, oh, you, yeah. you flip the light switch and the lights come on. Mm-hmm. You yeah. go to the store and the food's there. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially if you grew up in a house that had a lot. you And not even a lot like you're really, really rich. Say you're in a... A middle-class family, an upper-middle-class family. Things have always been provided. You you expect to go to college. You expect all these things. I think a lot of people take yeah. for granted that, oh, this, we've got it good, and we've got it so good. Why is it those people who don't have it good are, are why are they having a hard time? Whereas this one writer I was looking over the other day suggested that that's the, you know, affluent, say, 1950s American home. But what about the kid yeah. that grew up on a small farm? And has to right. wake up every morning and milk the cows and right. bale the hay and put things together. What if you grew That's up in a small butcher shop or small business with your parents and you mm-hmm. help them run it? You start to understand, oh, man, in order for me to get this meat to the customers, there's all sorts of things that we're relying mm-hmm. on. In particular, things oh. like prices and markets. And it's not, like, sexy. It's not, like, this great utopian Mm -hmm. vision like you laid out earlier, Debbie. But you realize, practically speaking, that's what makes the world better, slowly but surely, is that that intricate system of everybody following their own interests and and ideally doing it in a virtuous way, but following their own interests. And it leads to a wider fabric or tapestry being woven together. We call it society. Call it the economy. Yeah, one thing else is, um, and you've pointed this out a couple of times in different ways, back in the, well, even when my father was growing up in the 50s, as you're saying, he was on a farm. And back then, when you needed help, guess what? The neighbors come and pitched in. 
family came and pitched in, even the church if it was needed, especially during emergencies. If there was a flood, they'd take boats out, go around the neighborhood collecting people and animals and bring them to dry land. All these kind of things occurred, and nobody even thought twice to do it. It was just expected as a member of the, the um, community, right. your family. Everybody had to get out there and put in a little bit of effort to keep that community going. And it was a, a beautiful thing, and I think that's what made America so wonderful. And we're losing that because now we depend on Mr. Government to supply all these needs. And it's no longer independent. It's no longer the community. Well, no, I can't say that. We still well, do I that. don't know. If I, if I could be so coarse, government is a piss-poor substitution for actual community. Right. That's and true. It, it does take a village, but an actual village of people and responsible individuals with their talents, <laughs> not people that signal their virtues and then set up a system where they get to control others. Well, that's, you know, and it and it's funny that, uh, you know, last weekend, uh, my wife and I, we were out of town. We were up in, uh, well, we were in Cartersville, Georgia. And when I heard about the storms coming through, I got the little notification from my Rich Thomas weather app mm -hmm. that there was bad weather down here. And, and I called back to my community that I live in, and but that's what we do. But you can't force that, though, Debbie. You can't no. make no. someone do that. It's either a desire that is within you, that you want to go out and help people. If it's not within you, there's, there's, the government is not the mechanism to force you to do something. No. I mean, they can't be. do that. And mm -hmm. that's just, it's, but I love my neighbors and I love the people that I live around. Right. And fortunately, we didn't get hit. There wasn't anything. There were no, no, there was not any damage around our area. But, I mean, we've done it before is, you know, a tornado comes through and you get out and you get a chainsaw mm -hmm. or two or three mm -hmm. and you Take get in your truck you. and you just start driving down the road. Well, and, and Debbie, I, I appreciate the call. I, I got to go here. I appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you so much, guys. Thank appreciate you, Debbie. Appreciate it, too. Uh, but it's it's weird. It's like when those really catastrophic things happen, say like the most catastrophic in the nation's recent history, 9-11, when you have something to rally around, like that's the problem, it, it kind of that solidarity, that taking care of one another becomes very clear. When it's not a clear catastrophe you're trying to help with. I say it gets larger. Yes. It, well, and it, it, it got so much larger but it, around it's, it's very clear to everybody watching that, okay, we got to do something. And, like, what are we going to do? Everybody's very willing. But when you don't have something like that, some clear aim, organizing, no, again, it's what you value is going to give you your right and wrong. It, it's very difficult. And when you start arguing over values, you know, it's a funny thing. When I hear about why do you know, millennials, 50% of them believe in socialism, it's partly, uh, what's the, I just ran across this uh, old novelist named Saul Bellow. He said of his early, he was a Trotskyist, uh, you know, Stalin Trotsky. He was a Trotskyist. Um, he said, like everyone else who invests in doctrines at a young age, I couldn't give them up. I think that's partly what's going on. Like, even think about the stuff you believe in most, like, it's, it animates you. It is your identity. In many ways, faith is identity. 
like what is the thing that motivates you at your core, your foundation. Mm-hmm. Most people are that way. They're given faith, religious or otherwise, because of how they were raised and where they grew up. Yeah. The reason people in Saudi Arabia are Muslims because Muslims have been there for a while. The reason you're Baptist in Alabama is because mostly Baptists are here. The reason no. I'm Catholic, I, I was raised Catholic in many ways. I mean, you you are born into a community, and the whole process yeah. should be to find your own individual way, and maybe you go back into the fold of what you're raised in, maybe you don't. But what's happening with, I think, a lot of these politics in these new labels is we're not even are you can give everybody all sorts of reasons appeal to their mind appeal to their brain and you're not going to change a damn thing you know it's more about speaking to the heart it's about creating a larger ethos if i can use that fancy actually pretty short word a larger sense of purpose and community and so I'm not up here just, I prefer free markets. I prefer liberty. I am a libertarian. But my goal when I engage with politics as I see it now is not to take over the government and make it a libertarian system. No. Yeah. Wrong. And it shouldn't be, let's take over the government and make it a socialist system. No. Wrong. It should be kind of like what you're saying when a tornado rips through central Alabama. Get changed out. Yes, find the common humanity. Yes, we need justice. We need that personal responsibility. We need the correct incentives in place in law that make sure we're defended against tyranny and against fraud and force and against all these things. But we also need, when that person's down and out for no reason other than they were just unlucky, like a natural disaster, like a disease, we got to help them and take care of them. And there are ways to do that, I think, without, you know, giving too much power over to the government. Again, it's about finding the balance and finding a common humanity. It's fuzzy, and I know people don't like that, but these are they are fuzzy lines, and where we come together can be, I think, number one, moving the conversation back down to as local as possible. I think the federal government does way too much. And even at the state level, it should be more at the municipal level and more at the church level or the mutual aid society or that fraternal order you're a part of or that bowling team you're a part of. It needs to be. And then, yes, there are some problems so big that it rises to the national level. But right now we take every little problem and we throw it up to the national level and we beat our heads in figuring out what the solution is when there's not a clear solution for 300 million plus people. There's and, not. And I think, Joey, I think there's an expectation in, in how we got to this point. There's an expectation that the government, as we would call it, the federal government, they're going to come in and help us. They're going to do something. Well, you know what? What if they're not there? And this mm. goes back to the two questions you asked earlier. Treat your neighbor the way they treat you, or do you want to do unto others as you would have them do unto you? As well as do not to others as you would have them not do to you. And just, I mean, just go out. So one is give somebody food when they're hungry. The other is sure. don't murder somebody or they'll murder you. I mean, it's... Yeah. And, I and mean, you need th both. They're similar, Love but alone opposite. can't work. Love alone can't work. You need justice, too. No, you've got to have justice. But, I mean, damn, just help people when they need something. And at the end of the day, I think it always comes back to the individual that makes the strong group. 
not the group ahead of them, and certainly not a government playing imposter of a group.